Hello, welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit about the troubles around Battle for Azeroth, and maybe about the other problems around Blizzard. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? Well, it's pretty simple. For the entire month of December, we talk about movies, <laughs> and now we're back to talking about games. <laughs> um, so we've we've like touched on this a couple of times, right? Like Battle for Azeroth came out. Uh, it quickly kind of devolved into um, people being unsatisfied with the game and complaining about it. Uh, like the WoW subreddit is just absolutely full of people um, who are uh just complaining about the state of the game and they want the game to be better and they don't feel like blizzard is appropriately uh reacting to their concerns if if all of that stuff sort of makes sense uh there's lots of favorable comparisons to legion um in the same way that with warlords of draenor there are lots of favorable comparisons to missa pandaria um I personally, just because, like, as a as a WoW player, right, um, and also as a leader in a WoW guild, I have been very far removed, it seems, from a lot of this backlash. I don't personally feel it. I've been liking Battle for Azeroth a lot, which I hope all of you know, because I keep talking about it in the end segment as the only game that I've been playing. Um, and a lot of the people that I've been playing with like it a lot. Uh, you know, like, our guild has been strong and healthy. All of the kinds of talk and arguments about the state of Battle for Azeroth that I see on places like the WoW subreddit uh, don't take place in any of our guild discords, which actually I want to highlight because it is a departure from how things were in Legion. There's cer- there's a, cer- a bit of, like, rose-tinted glasses when it comes to Legion. Legion has been, like retroactively declared one of the good ones right um but i do remember that you know like there are a lot of people who complained about a lot of things myself included right like i was livid that my first legendary was not a throughput legendary um and how much that kind of sucked and so there was a lot of complaining about the legendary system um there was a lot of complaining about artifact power and how artifact power interacted with things um, and those kinds of complaints and arguments were being had in the guild discords at the time that they were being had on the WoW servers for Legion, and that has not carried true into Battle for Azeroth. Um, the WoW meta subreddit, which is about you know, which is the subreddit about the WoW subreddit, talks a lot about the negativity surrounding Battle for Azeroth. There are a lot of people who say, you know, I've been having a pretty good time with BFA, and I don't go to the WoW subreddit anymore, and that sucks because it's just like a negative circle jerk all the time. Also, the WoW circle jerk subreddit makes fun of how negative everybody is all the time, and it's actually pretty great. Um, and so I feel like. That's kind of my baseline. I, I want to start with my like baseline priors and point of view, um, kind of like coming into this. Yeah, and, and for, for my part, um, I obviously played the beginning of BFA, um, and I quit relatively early. Um, but I would say that I didn't quit because I thought that BFA was particularly worse than any other expansion. I thought the expansion had some flaws, but I, I have not followed why people are so angry about a lot of this stuff. Um, uh, reading some of the complaints that I've, I've tried to familiarize myself with, um, I can like I definitely agree with them, but I, I I'm having trouble understanding why um, people are are so angry about them, um, and, and maybe you can provide some insight in, in, into that. Uh, or maybe do we want to start out with Azrite because that's the one that I think I can relate to the most. Like I thought the Azrite yeah. system was bad, um, 
and uninteresting and the grind was was not fun but i never got too far into it and i wasn't like raiding or anything um yeah i've actually come around uh to the negative point of view on azurite armor um we talked when 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 we talked about battle for azurite when it originally came out i was talking about how i liked azurite armor for arms warrior because it really changed my rotation quite a bit uh which is true and continues to be true by the way um but at now i have like eight 120s or something like that so i have played enough of the other classes and specs in the game uh to understand that 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 is functionally an outlier uh a lot of the azurite traits are sort of what you described with windwalker monk um essentially just kind of passive buffs that don't really change how or why you do things yeah um although i don't i don't remember too specifically at this point what they were um because they I mean, I guess maybe that's kind of indicative of how much I didn't care about. I also never got yeah. super deep into it. There, there, there's some conflicting pieces there. But um, the big thing for me was that, like, leveling it up felt tedious and unfun. Uh, yeah, I think that this is a big confluence of kind of bad... It's one of those things where I think the problem is with the core design. And this is kind of why I've come around to the negative case on it. This is, Azurite armor as it stands is probably the best that it can get with the model that it hopes to be, which is an awful thing, right? But it is, like, the state of the game that we have here is in prevention of worse states of the game. So, for instance, you know, Ian Hosekostas has talked about this a couple of times, the original implementation of Azurite armor had the most powerful traits be at the end of the tree so you were working towards something right but that had this problem of you could never really upgrade your gear because your throughput would get absolutely obliterated anytime you didn't have that final trait unlocked so you actually kind of had to keep undershooting yourself for gear which is why they flipped it right they put the best kind of uh the best traits right at the top and then as you progress through, you get worse and worse traits so that it doesn't impact your progression over time. But that creates this feeling that we're talking about, right? This feeling of like, oh, well, I'm not really progressing towards anything anymore. And the worst part about this is that there's actually a definitive end point when it comes to the Azerite gear. Like, once you unlock that middle ball, right, which increases your eye level by five. Also, by the way... Um, this is a patch change, but that middle ball increases the eye level of the item by five, but it also increases the effectiveness of all the other Azerite traits by 50%. So unlocking that is a more important thing than what we had talked about at the time. Um, that Once you do that, you are done with this essentially, like, essentially piece of gear. And any farming of Azerite that you do from then on is in service of hypothetical future gear do you know what i mean yeah 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 no and, and that was that was honestly my big fall point like once i unlocked my traits i was like why am i still building this and the answer is because you're not going to be able to use your gear that you that you earn later because uh until you until they're fully unlocked because it's not going to be as good i was like oh that's that feels bad um i also feel like Maybe they were also, like, that that goal they were talking about, about flipping it was maybe a little bit unsuccessful. Because I know that, like, for some of the pieces of my gear, I definitely felt like I still couldn't upgrade until I had unlocked the rings enough. Um, 
Although I guess I guess it depends on how big the the eye level gap is. But I I, I think I agree with you. I, I think that the the kind of uh, the, the fundamental formulation of the uh, uh, of, of of the Azerite system seems like it's 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 flawed. So um, the, the things I, I have seen is that apparently Blizzard is or has or will soon be adding more interesting traits and uh, and so yeah. It's the- they have actually done a lot of work, and I think deserve credit for this. Um, one of the big complaints coming out of the launch of BFA is that certain traits were just insanely powerful compared to others. Um, and Blizzard spent a lot of time kind of like hot-fixing the traits into balance um, with one another in those first kind of like early weeks of Battle for Azeroth. As 7.1 came out, or 8.1 came out, whatever number we're on. Um, they actually removed the least interesting and worst performing traits from every spec and and added in a new trait that was at least billed to be kind of like more interesting and more complex uh, to kind of like answer this sort of, um, you know, everything is passive problem. Um, I haven't really felt a huge difference even across my myriad of different characters um, just because kind of like keeping track, uh, keeping exhaust- exhaustive track of each of the different Azerite traits as they come and go is a tough thing for anyone to do. Um, but it puts a kind of emphasis, I guess I would say, on the the willingness Blizzard is, uh, try- is exhibiting trying to kind of like fix the problem. Uh, the most recent announcement that we got, which was part of one of the dev Q&As uh, after the release of 7.1, is essentially Ian admitting to the thing that I had just talked about a couple of minutes ago, where he basically said, we got to this unhappy place because we kept having to dodge and weave worse outcomes, right? Um, and so what we, you know, and so he talked about for 7.2, um, which is a far-off patch. You know, we just hit 7.1, so 7.2 won't be around for quite a while. Um, he, and he, he talked about how for 7.2, the plan was to try and rework uh, the Azerite system from the, gr- you know, not, not from the ground up, but just into a place that allows for more kind of choice and complexity and interaction with the progression bar than we have currently been seeing. Um, so, uh, I saw somewhere that there's a patch coming out on the 22nd, it's like Battle for Dazzler, is that accurate? Yep, Battle for Dazzler is the next raid that okay. is coming out with patch 8.1.5. Okay, so it's not, it's not a, a, a full patch. Um, yeah, it will, yeah, so it's a half patch, um, uh, but it will come with new changes to the Azerite system. It's the start of what's called Season 2. Um, so such that they have termed it season two of like Azerite, which encompasses PVP and PVE with the new raid. There's a new PVP season. Um, Mythic Plus is changing and stuff like that. Um, so the what what's happening in eight point two is they are adding another ring on top of the other rings that is just that are just d- different class traits. So you get two class traits per Azerite gear. Um, rather than just one, and you actually get more choice in it. Um, what what the current state of Azerite gear has you making choices between um, the like that first ring has four choices, but they're three specs. 
uh, and one generalized trait. So really your choice is between two things, either the general trait or your spec specific trait. What they're doing in the Battle for Dazara lore is they're adding um, that one ring and it's going to have six traits, two from each of your specs on it. Um, so there's kind of like more choice and diversity that comes into how you are playing with your spec specific traits. All right. Neat. Um, so kind of along some of these lines. Um, uh, so one complaint I saw was that uh, this battle for Daryl's, whatever it is, um, is coming out on January 22nd and that um, patch 8.0 had, or 8.1 rather, came out on December 11th. And this, to some people, feels like a naked attempt by Blizzard to string out subscriptions. Essentially, this one comes just after 30 days after the last one. And so um, some some people are saying that this is a, 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 a bald-faced attempt to get people to not quit their subscription and wait for the next patch. Do you think that that has any truth to it, or do you think that that's just people being angry? I think that's just people being angry. Uh, this follows a... A, a well-established pattern, I feel like, at this point by Blizzard. For instance, 7.1.5, which came out in the January of the new year after the release of the expansion, is also when the Nighthold raid dropped for Legion. In fact, if you want to use that standard, Nighthold is actually a worse implementation of this because we knew in 7.0 that Nighthold was, you know, like, we all knew that Gul'dan was a thing. Nighthold was in the adventure journal thing, even though we were all raiding Emerald Nightmare at the time and 7.1 release the trial of valor right um we didn't know about the battle of desar lore until they announced uh patch 8.1 which i think was at gamescom um so we didn't we had no idea that the battle of desar lore was coming out uh and it is coming out at the exact same time that nighthold came out in legion's life cycle and i honestly kind of want to say that that um blackrock foundry came out in uh, Warlords life cycle, though I, so, I also think Warlords was different because it kind of released in a different sort of cadence. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I guess I kind of... I, I have a tough time with any of these kinds of things that are like, oh, they're just trying to, you know, get your subscriptions, right? It seems... I have... It's, there's a hard time arguing with it. Um, sure. Uh, and because it's like... It, you know, like, it, it is. it is by its nature kind of disingenuous right it is doubtful of any of blizzard's intentions and ascribing them kind of the worst intentions so you know i, I, I don't want to say that it's like a conspiracy theory because you know it, this is essentially i mean in like film terms this is a pretty obvious like marxist critique right um but it is hard to uh it's hard to really talk about that kind of with any like certainty. It's just kind of a different read on the situation. Sure. And I think people to, to play devil's advocate, I think people might be a little bit more sensitive to this. Cause I think on kind of like the whole, there's a perception that blizzard has become shittier with its business practices in the last year or so. Um, you know, Diablo immortal. Um, there's this wide perception that Activision is flexing its corporate muscle in a number of different ways. The departure of, Mike Morheim and uh, I know there was some shakeup in the uh, with the CFO. He, the CFO was fired, but it appears that like he was 
this was just, maybe he wasn't fired, it was just part of the transition because he... Yeah, and he got poached by Netflix. Yeah, he got poached by Netflix, and so some people thought maybe this is a good sign, maybe they're getting rid of... Maybe they'll bring in somebody who's less aggressive um, with the monetization stuff. Um, I guess this will kind of roll into the next point. I know I asked you about it briefly last time, and you seem to have, like, um, uh, very, like, uh, a more favorable view of it, but I figure it's worth going over again, is, is this... Um, this $25 mount, um, it's like, I've definitely seen a lot of posts of people who are, who are very angry about it, that they think like that this kind of fits into this whole mold of like, um, uh, I I think the idea has been that, that, uh, looking back in retrospect, Blizzard has been uh, boiling the frog as it were. Um, yeah. So the $25 mount, just for context, is a mount that they released for the game, um, all mounts in the mount shop cost 25 bucks. Uh, but if you get this, if you buy six months of game time, you get this mount for free. Okay. Um, as just like a, you know, as like a bonus, essentially. Um, this happened right after the Battle for Azeroth uh, expansion dropped, and it kind of kept people on the hook. A lot of people bought into it, myself included, right? Because um, I know I'm going to be playing WoW for the next six months. I'm pretty confident in that. So I was like, yeah, sure, let's get a, let's get a mount out of it. But a lot of people have kind of turned around and said, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I took that deal because now I'm subbed till, you know, the end of February or whatever. Um, and I hate the game and I don't want to play the game. And to a certain extent, I have sympathy with that. Um a, though to a certain sense, I think it's kind of a, you know, it's like a buyer beware kind of yeah. situation. Um, do you, is, is that the reason why this is this mount is getting particular scrutiny? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, people, I mean, insofar as you have, I mean, I'm going to call it the Marxist critique. Insofar as you have, like, the Marxist critique, right? Blizzard's only goal is squeezing you for every penny you can, you know, that, 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 you, that you are willing to give them. Um this falls right in line with that frame of thinking, right? Blizzard knows it has a dud on its hand. It's released a lemon, and they they panic, and so they have this new mount that's about to hit the mount shop, and they say, "Aha! I know how we're going to trick all of our you know unwitting stupid players into buying." Six months of game time will give them a mount if they do it. And then they they do this promotion, and then a bunch of people buy into it, and they go, oh, no, I got I got duped. Um, I, that's obviously not my perspective uh, when, it, when it comes to things, but it's one that I've read and that I've seen pretty frequently. Um, so, you know. Yeah. Um, so... Um, I guess the next thing to move on to would be like class design issues. I, I don't have a lot sure. of uh, detail on this. I just see people saying that they, like just general rabble rousing that the class design changes. Um, uh, I, I think this also gets wrapped up in, in another issue, which maybe you want to um, speak to is that like a lot of people say that none of the feedback was listened to in the beta. Like people identified a lot of these issues while the game was still in beta testing and Blizzard didn't listen. Um, and uh, I know that there was a big effort. Um, apparently, Blizzard was sending out surveys to people who quit BFA in an attempt to figure out why I didn't get one. Um, but uh, uh, people have posted screenshots, and um, apparently to the extent where they were willing to sit down and do like 30-minute Skype calls with some of these people about what they thought the um, – uh, about why those people were, were dissatisfied with, with, with BFA. Um, sure. 
Uh, and so there's a mix there, right? There's people who are saying, like, at least, you know, this is them putting forth effort. This is a good sign. Other people saying, like, they should have known. We gave them this feedback a million times while the product was still in beta. Um, and I know that some of this comes around some of these class design aspects. I think also the GCD changes, which it appears people are not super happy with. Um, although I don't, I, I like, like I, I, I'm going to need, need to lean on you for explanation on any of that. The, the, the GCD changes are well loved by the PVP community. Okay. Um, anybody in PVP, the, the, the GCD changes were really made f- f- on the behalf of the PVP community. Um, just because it got rid of kind of like one shot macros, right? Where you rush into someone, you hit them with CC and then you hit like F1, which is a macro that has your trinket, all of your DPS cooldowns, you know, just everything, and then you hit them with your most powerful ability to just do as much burst damage as possible. Now that now that all that stuff is on the GCD, uh, it forces PvPers to kind of stagger out their their like big DPS cooldowns. But also, uh, oh, this is the reasoning that Ian has given. Um, it also means that it is not that these decisions are not brain dead. Um, the GCD forces you to um, make a decision, if that makes sense, because you need to know that you're going to be losing 1.5 seconds or whatever by hitting the button that activates a cooldown so that everything that comes after is much more powerful, but you aren't doing that like immediate upfront stacking damage anymore. Um, and you are then in this troublesome spot of like, okay, well, I have three DPS cooldowns. Do I hit one, then the other, then the other, and waste four and a half seconds on the first one or whatever, just hitting DPS cooldowns for the other ones, or do I stagger them out a little bit? Right, like these are the kinds of more complex questions that you get to ask essentially when all when all dps cooldowns are back on the gcd uh they have rolled stuff off of the gcd um specifically mobility uh which i find to be a very good change it was extremely clunky to have charge specifically on the on the global cooldown and a lot of other moves that were like charge were on the global cooldown which didn't feel uh pretty good um, but so a lot of those have been have been uh, pulled off. Also, some defensive abilities, which I also think is a pretty good change. Uh, you want to have more snap reflexes when it comes to activating a defensive cooldown. So pulling that stuff off the GCD also seems to be um, like a good decision. People are still mad because offensive GCD cooldowns doesn't feel great because right when you are about to activate your cooldowns and be the most badass, you're actually just sitting there for a second and that just feels like bad and weird, um, I guess to them. But I think honestly it makes for better gameplay all around and it is overall a good, it is, that is overall a good decision. And the rollbacks that they have done have been really satisfying in terms of what the actual problems with the GCD stuff was. Um, All right. It makes sense. It sounds like, um, sounds like they're like that, uh, like the, the design, I think we both agreed at the time sounded sound. Yeah. Um, and maybe there was a little bit of a hiccup in implementation, but it sounds like they've done, done some work to, to make it better. Um, <clears throat> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I wonder. I wonder if there's like a case to be made for like putting the DPS on not on the GCD but on like their own shared kind of GCD. Um, that way you could like mash a button and then immediately get an attack out. Um, that way you weren't like that way that first ability still had that kind of like instant snap. That feel. has been suggested. Um, in fact, people have said that. So trinkets have internal cooldowns uh, with one another, right? You can't have two on-use trinkets and use them back to back. 
um, when you use one, you will trigger a 30 second cooldown on the other, right? Uh, and this is just to prevent kind of that sort of layering, like layering everything kind of together. And people have suggested that maybe for DPS cooldowns, what you want to do is a similar sort of thing where you leave it off the global cooldown, but you say, okay, Avatar and Bladestorm can't be paired up with one another. Um, you know, if you use Avatar, you are precluded from using Bladestorm, and if you use Bladestorm, you are precluded from using Avatar, and it kind of forces you to kind of, like, create your own DPS cooldown cadence, if that makes sense. Um, I think that would be trickier to implement than it seems, just because I feel like at that point, then you're kind of doing math about, like, well, if I if one cooldown is a minute and a half and another cooldown is two minutes, then I need to stagger them out by this and that, you know, in order yeah. to make sure that I, I never waste any cooldown window, which I don't really think we want to do. But, yeah, I've definitely seen that suggestion. Yeah. No, it, it, was, it was just a, a thought that occurred to me. When um, it comes to class, uh, when it comes to the class problem, the big problem that I see is homogeneity uh, that people complain about is homogeneity, right? Which is, at the end of the day, right, all of these classes are the exact same. You know, they they all play, uh, they all play the exact same. So playing any alts never feels any different, and um, and I and and so and so I, I kind of get that. But I think at the end of the day, that's kind of a that's like pulling a thread to unravel the sweater question in a way. And if you embrace that answer, you have kind of just written off the entire design philosophy on wow like okay so for instance I'm this, sorry. Is, this is what this, to, to explain this really yeah. quickly right um you might say so like here's here's the three different things right you might say demonology war demonology warlock affliction warlock and destro warlock all play the exact same now in practice right Demonology Warlock summons a bunch of little dudes that do progressive damage to your targets, right? So when you use abilities, they spawn demons that are casting spells to do damage to your targets, right? Um, Destro Warlock just summons big fat spells, um, and you you know you hit guys with chaos bolts, and it's like the most damaging ability in the game. It always crits. It does a bazillion damage. And then Affliction Warlock, you cast a bunch of debuffs on the target, a bunch of dots. Right, and they slowly di like like dot over time. Part of the argument that comes to kind of class homogeneity is that as a warlock, all you're doing is sitting there and casting spells, and what the actual spells do is functionally the exact same. Right, there's not a lot of difference between casting a spell that summons four demons that shoot little fireballs every two seconds for eight seconds and putting a debuff on an enemy that says this is this is dealt damage every two seconds for eight seconds right those one of those is kind of let's say a positive facing dot and the other one is a negative facing dot uh, but they are both just essentially dots and there's no difference between them right and even destro you know you're just the, all, all of that damage is then front loaded and packaged into a shadow bolt cast, and then you hit a guy with a with a with a shadow bolt, and then you hit him with a chaos bolt or whatever, and you're just you're doing the exact same thing. You're just casting spells and it's hitting the bad guy. It's like when you follow that line of logic, you're just saying, "Well, WoW is about pressing buttons, and that's the exact same no matter what class you're playing." And it's kind of like, yeah, that's true, I guess, but like. 
you can't get around that. At a certain point, WoW is about hitting numbers on your keyboard with a rhythm according to the global cooldown, right? Like, every class is a slave to those mechanics. And if you want to say that WoW is homogenous because all classes boil down to that point, then... Yeah, that's true, but it's also really reductionist, I guess is kind of my like point of view on this stuff. That said, I think what people are really expressing is a frustration that the kind of um, the class fantasy that we got in Legion has not been carried forward into Battle for Azeroth, right? We don't have artifact weapons. We don't have the artifact weapon uh, skill tree, like talent trees or whatever. Um, we don't have gold traits or, or any of those sorts of, uh, sorts of things. And I think the presence of those was good at fulfilling this kind of class fantasy and diversification aspect, right? Because like running around with Ashbringer was, and filling out your Ashbringer tree was materially different than running around with, you know, Strumcar, the arms warrior weapon, uh, and filling out your Strumcar tree and now we're not in that sort of position anymore uh all there like we have kind of lost the lore differentiation between classes because classes are no longer a focus for um for the game and uh and we don't have like, order halls and we don't have like those kinds of artifact weapons and everything like that uh, and so now we're kind of back to back to basics and that loss i think is kind of what's like fueling this criticism in a lot of ways um, question on that, because I, I see your point about it at some level, you know, every, every the mechanics are universal of the game, but um, yeah. at least in theory, I can see a situation where um, they're, like, they're, like, you could still have diversity among the classes um, and among the specs without kind of hitting this problem to, like, you know, this, this problem is in degrees, I guess is what I'm, I'm going to say. I, I want to kind of get your read on, on how bad it is right because like i think kind of to use your example right like summoning demons that cast spell every two seconds for eight seconds um versus and a, a dot that does damage every two seconds that lasts for eight seconds those that that seems like it's probably on like kind of like the these are too similar side of that line um uh and i think that there's there's two sides of this right like there's both the kind of like um aesthetic difference and the, and the mechanical difference right like if if every class is not just hitting numbers on the keyboard, but hitting the same kind of like like uh, archetypes on the keyboard and in the same in the same way, the same kind of framework, rather, right? Like yeah. hit hit attack one, hit DPS buffed one, hit attack two, hit attack three, hit attack one, and, and that's the same rotation for everybody. Um, obviously, that kind of falls in the same kind of like sameness side. Um, yeah, no, and I definitely feel that. And to a certain extent, I think that that does bleed uh, across classes a little bit. So, like, for instance, um, I would say that the playstyle of Affliction Rogue and the playstyle of Assassin, or I'm sorry, Affliction Warlock and Assassin Rogue are actually fairly similar. Because the main thing that you are keeping track of and the main thing that you are concerned with is making sure your poisons are up, right? And making sure your rupture has, like, its full duration of time and everything like that. And so, like, the thing you are focused on, essentially, are the debuffs that you are putting on the on the opponent. Um, I think the reductionist point of view is the, the Demonology Warlock Affliction one, because Demonology Warlock and Affliction Warlock just really don't play very similarly at all. Um, and this is mostly just because of, like, the way, the different ways kind of, like, procs uh, work with 
you know, like procs work with these things and how you're summoning your demons and keeping your demons um, up and empowered and um, and kind of mitigating like the cost of them and everything like that is kind of like the interesting and fundamental gameplay to Demonology Warlock that Affliction Warlock doesn't really um, have in the same way. You're doing a lot of kind of um, bouncing between high and low resource values when you're playing demonology whereas affliction is much more of like a slow burn if that makes sense so i definitely do think that there are kind of like archetypes that could be considered similar um you know i think ret paladin and arms warrior are pretty similar but i don't find that there are many archetypes insular to a class that are too similar for instance i don't think arms warrior and fury warrior play very similarly at all uh fury warrior is about building your rage bar to 100 and then dumping it on big big splashy rampage right whereas arms warrior is much more about managing your rage and keeping it in this kind of goldilocks zone uh between like 30 and 80 so that you're never wasting a point of rage um and you are constantly you know hitting the appropriate uh, hitting the appropriate button compared to your rage intake if that makes sense so Um, so so question so point on that i like on face, it seems like maybe it's actually worse that way. Like, I feel like you could reasonably, reasonably expect the specs within your own class um, to have to be relatively similar to each other because they're built on the same kind of like fantasy chassis. Whereas, mm. I feel like you would expect that like differences between classes to be uh, bigger. Um, so that I mean, that, that's just kind of the thing that immediately occurs to me, and, and kind of as, as a follow up to that. How bad do you think this problem is kind of across the game? Is it like literally like there are a handful that are close to each other and it's really not that big a problem? Is it like a moderate problem or is it like, you know, literally every class is just like, you know, all the DPS ones are like a carbon copy of like a couple of different archetypes or, or something like that? I, I think there are a couple of different archetypes, uh, and my archetypes would be things like a dot player, right, whose whole thing is about managing the their, like, dot uptime, um, maybe, like, a proc kind of gameplay, like a proc-based gameplay, gameplay where, like, you're constantly trying to manage the procs of abilities so that you're not wasting any of them, but you are... Um, but but like you are taking full advantage of every every time they pop up i guess um and then you know and then a couple of others right that i guess i can't really think of off the top of my head but like yeah sure there are a couple of different archetypes but i think that those archetypes have been in the game for a long time and in fact i think if you trace the game historically like the difference between fury warrior and arms warrior in wrath of the lich king was much 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 less than the difference between the two of them now i think the big turning point for this was mists of pandaria which is kind of the first time it felt like the different specs really played differently for me um but you know in vanilla there really is not a lot of difference between being a combat rogue spamming sinister strike on a on a boss and a subtlety rogue spamming backstab right like there there just wasn't that you know, even the baseline abilities would be shared between specs back then. Yeah, um, and then and the, the talent specs trees were like were... not all that different. So I feel like we've been essentially at the exact same spot, right? With a couple, you know, with a handful of archetypes: shadow priests, affliction warlocks. You know, 
uh, uh, assassination rogues are the dot DPS classes, and they all play pretty similarly because they are about managing your dot uptime. Um, but there's enough differences between the three of them that none of them that like because I play an assassination rogue, I can't play a shadow priest. I have both an assassination rogue and a shadow priest, and I find them both pretty enjoyable, right? Um, but you know. Yeah, I don't know. That that's that's my that's my core thing. I don't think that this is new to BFA. I think that this is just the state of the game for WoW. And I'm a little bit wondering, like, is this a reflection of people saying, "Oh, well, the class halls are gone, so this aesthetic is gone," and the talents that came with that, like the gameplay that kind of came with that, is also gone. And so all of that stuff being pulled out of the game all of a sudden makes my class feel anemic compared to sort of like what it was. Or if it's just, like, a reflection of people getting more and more kind of burnt on, like, the core WoW routines, like, subroutines of pressing buttons in a certain order in order to keep your DPS high. I think, really, at the end of the day, the like, one of the principal problems that has been afflicting WoW has been the use, an ability to kind of parse out through, like, parsers and simulations... Um, to turn every every attempt at making a choice into making a calculation um, to improve your DPS. This is something that WoW has been having trouble with since the very beginning um, when, you know, talent builds were about giving you choice, but in practice, people just kind of looked up what the most efficient builds were for their talent points um, and invested accordingly. And that's not really them making a choice anymore. That's them making a calculation. Nowadays, we have kind of the same thing, right? We have certain Azerite traits that we know perform hairline better than other Azerite traits. And that creates this thing where if I get something that has anything but the best Azerite trait on it, it's a bad piece of gear and I don't want it. Um, and that's like... You know, like, I feel like this is kind of like the core problem um, that spawns all of these other ones in a lot of ways. So, so uh, how how do you fix that? Like, um, I mean, I'll tell you what I did. I stopped parsing. <laughs> I stopped keeping track of parsers. Uh, I uninstalled the recount, and I don't look at logs anymore. And I trust that my instincts are good enough, and that other people will police me in a way. Like, if I'm really way off base and 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 very low DPS. Um, you know, sure. But like, you know, I can tell on face what the best way for me to structure my opener is. I don't need to go to icy veins in order to do that. Um, and, uh, and you know, I just wanted to make my own choices. I just wanted to be my own man, mango. Okay. Is a man not entitled to the sweat of his DPS? Um, you know, and so, yeah, I, because I, 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 I felt, I knew that I was in this position and I have fallen down this rabbit hole of like, I'm staring at recount because I'm number two, but I'm like 15 DPS off of being number one and I'm like mashing these buttons. And then you finish the fight at number two and you feel bad. And it's like, God, I just really wanted to get rid of that, right? Like, my, I don't want to have fun because of number, because of like the number on the screen. Uh, I want to have fun because it's fun and engaging to be doing challenging content with my, you know, like with my friends. Okay, so recognizing that, do you think that's a sustainable model for World of Warcraft, the game, rather than just Buddy Solaw, the player? 
Right. I have no idea. Like, for instance, I think there's a big question. I So part of it is, like, fundamentals, right? I have pretty good fundamentals. I have been a hardcore writer. So, like, I understand, you know, movement with the mouse. Like, all of the things that, like, writers do to optimize themselves, I have pretty built in. Like, not 100%, but I have, like, pretty built in. So it's easy for me to keep track and say oh, well, I'm probably wasting a little bit of rage here. I should cut down on that. I don't need logs to tell me this stuff. But that is something that is unique to me as a good player um, where I think other bad players would all of a sudden become real liabilities, right? Like, so for instance, if I'm the worst performing player in my in my raid, um, I don't have the luxury of not looking at numbers and recount in order to get better, right? That ignorance might preserve my ability to make the choices that I want to make and feel good about that and say, oh, well, hmm, what, let, let me actually consider these on my own rather than go look up a guide on Wowhead that says this trait gives you 25 more DPS on average than that trait or something like that. And so, like, being able to make that own choice feels good, but at a certain point, you, like, in a raid team, for instance, you have an obligation to the other people in your raid team not to be a dead, you know, like, not to be dead weight. And that's the risk that comes with this. Um, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And, you you know, not not, not to dump on, 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 on the wonderful guild, but it is not a hardcore raiding guild, so you also have the luxury of not necessarily being relied on to try oh like- yeah absolutely yeah i am not in a i am not in a a hardcore rating guild and i'm not in a guild that is looking to you know really the number one priority for us is kill bosses have fun right, right? it is not you know get cutting edge or even get like ahead of the curve we cared a little bit about ahead of the curve in legion but i just i really honestly could care less about getting ahead of the curve gahoon or ahead of the her curve jaina in the next raid or whatever um just because you know we'll progress as much through the heroic content as we can that's fine that's fun i like progressing um i like the challenge and meeting the challenge i like strategizing around things right like we we, we were having a lot of trouble with heroic Zekvaz, um and i kind of identified a point and i was like hey listen we need to bloodlust here in order to push him into the second phase so or the third phase so we're not wasting all of our dps on ads that are left over from the second phase right like making those kinds of strategic decisions and reading the fights and like reading the rooms that's a lot of fun um but it's not you know i don't know it's uh it's not something that w- that would be possible if i was in a, like a really hardcore progression based guild yeah um and so i i guess the question is is um, while it seems to be working out for you, do you think this is a problem that's going to um, damage well long term? I guess is the best way to put it. Like you, like, um, are we at like? Uh, I guess this kind of goes back to, to an earlier thing you talked about. It's like you know, you know, this is the way WoW has always been. It's also been fourteen years, and there's been fourteen years of game development in that time, like in the wider world, right? Um, so. Not to be too apocalyptic about this, but at some point we're gonna get the last WoW expansion. Um, yeah. Do you think that like we're nearing the end of the WoW? Like, do you think the, if these problems are truly like you know in, in inherent to WoW itself, uh, or like, then are we maybe just nearing the end of life for WoW? Do you think that's a possibility? Uh, I do think it's a possibility, though I will say that I think WoW has done a good job kind of extending itself. For instance, I think the WoW kind of storytelling has been getting better year over year, um, and that 
people come back for the world because they're pretty invested in it, right? We have 30 years of Warcraft history. This isn't like, you know, I don't know. I feel like I feel like there's a there's a marked difference between the world of Warcraft uh, from like a world building perspective and the world of like Titanfall or like Halo, right? The lore in those places is not a big attraction for people. Uh, right? You might be wrong I mean, about I Halo, know, but uh... I, I was actually going to say that I was like, you know, like I know that there are like diehard fanboys about Halo lore and everything like that. Um, and I, you know, I guess Halo's been around for twenty years at this point. I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like a good another example. Like, I don't know, like the, you know, people don't really care about like the lore of some of these more recent kind of like games that have like cropped up. But like Warcraft is an institution, right? For, Halo has been around for twenty years, I guess, across however many games. Uh, but Warcraft has been around thirty across a lot of different kind of like games and contexts. And people are, you know, people are invested in the stories of Jaina and Thrall. Um, well, maybe not Thrall any longer. I feel like he's kind of reached like the terminus of his endpoint. But like, you know. The Lich King or Illidan, right? Uh, Tyrande Whisperwind, right? Like these are people played Tyrande twenty years ago in Warcraft Three and created a, a bond with her as a character because the writing in that game is pretty good, and that bond continues through World of Warcraft until now, where she is com- doing these rituals and becoming the Night Warrior and stuff like that. And so I, th- I feel like that will keep WoW afloat longer than a gameplay hound shall we say might might suggest right who says oh the gameplay is bad therefore the whole game is going to kind of like tank forever like i think it's more you know the power of this franchise is is has a lot to do with the world and its aesthetic and stuff like that um but also at the same time i feel like um i i don't know part of me wants to say that the the solution to this is technology i think really at the end of the day the problem here is balance right you could hypothetically reach a point of balance where these little incremental differences between Azerite traits are, you know, completely wrong and gone. You know, like, the w- once you have perfect balance, you can have choice again, if that makes sense. Um, and I almost sort of think that humans turning knobs and saying we're increasing the damage of this by 2% and this by 3% and all of that, like, maybe that we have reached the point where that is just insufficient and now we need to just try and design really powerful balance algorithms, you know, like, that are sorting, like, let, you know, like, let's say that are sorting player data and reading the player data and saying, like, beep, boop, up, this damage is 2% off, and they, like, and they are fine-tuning and hot-fixing, like, the game kind of, like, constantly to keep the game in, like, permanent, real balance. Um, maybe that's a possibility? I, you know, like, I don't know. But it's, it's, yeah, that's just, like, a really tough thing to kind of, like, parse out. Um, yeah, I, I think maybe another solution is to widen the gear space, right? Like um, something like Diablo, where like the, nothing's perfectly balanced against each other, but there's such like a wide variety of gear that kind of like that has like such, such randomly generated stats that like you can, because you can never be certain about what you're going to get, like or what the, like mm-hmm. you, you you have you can play around with the the numbers there, right? Like, you can make those judgment calls, and you, you can never know exactly what's right because the numbers are never going to be consistent enough, maybe. Maybe. I think, you, yeah. I guess you could sim some of that stuff out, but, like, uh, I guess you add a bunch more active stuff. Like, you add unquantifiables in there, right? Like, you say, like, oh, well, 
how do I know? Like, how do you compare, like, an extra, like, you know, skill added into the rotation on a one-to-one basis with, you know, higher DPS on the rest of your skills, which, which makes, like, it a little bit harder to do. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, to a certain extent, this just comes down to the core. But one of the big problems in, in a lot of ways is that DPS is a finite singular number, which means everything is proportional, relative, and comparable to everything else in the game. Um, so, for instance, I, you know, like, even, like, so with something like Mastery, right, which does something wildly different for every different class, right, um, the value of Mastery, the value of Haste, and the value of Crit are always comparable to one another because at the end of the day you can always boil that number down to a dps number if that makes sense um and once you run it through a sim and say oh well if i have two points of haste i do this much and if i have two points of crit i do that much therefore crit is definitionally better right that you will always fall into this trap i think part of it is that people need to kind of realize the limitations of simming um and of kind of these guides that they get uh from places like wowhead which will do a lot of simming or whatever and there's always a disclaimer that kind of says like this is just on like a patchwork kind of fight you might have different you know like you might have different experiences sort of like in the real world uh when it comes to like how you play the game um but you know uh I people are just kind of like reluctant to do that to a certain extent uh, because like there is this I don't know there, there's this feeling that like your DPS is like the end all be all um, and once we boil it down to kind of like that number everything else falls to the wayside. So so random question completely out of left field. Why is patchwork always the kind of like baseline? Uh, patchwork is the baseline because he's a fight with essentially no mechanics. Um, in Nax Ramis, Patchwork is uh, basically a gear check. He cleaves to the two targets. He does a ton of damage. He has a pretty short enrage timer, which means, like, if your raid is undergeared at all you and you can't do Patchwork, you can't do any of the other bosses, like, with mechanics. You just, on Patchwork, you just sit there and you kill him. There's Spanky really tank. nothing more, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, there's really nothing more complicated uh, when it comes to that. I actually do think that there was a bit of complication to the Naxxramas in Wrath version of Patchwork, but the very, very early version of Patchwork kind of, like, hit this hit this kind of on the head. I also think that, like, to a certain extent, it is about freeing people from the expectations of those DPS numbers. Like, for instance, okay, one of the things that has been a big benefit to me pulling myself off of this, like, whatever gives me the highest numbers is correct train, um, has been that it forces me to think about my own numbers and cooldowns in a way that maximally impacts the progression of the raid rather than maximally impacts the numbers on recount, if that makes sense. Um, and so, for instance, I bet my DPS is lower on recount than a lot of other people's, right? I don't keep track, so I don't know, obviously. But I would wager that my DPS is better placed and serviced than other people's. Um, because I do things like, because I now feel free, shall I say, to do things like save Bladestorm for when I know a bunch of ads are going to spawn because we need burst AoE 
to DPS those ads down, right? Any, any Anybody could tell you that when you have a big DPS cooldown like Bladestorm, right, you should use it on cooldown in order to get as many Bladestorms done in the fight, right? But the most impactful Bladestorm in order to keep my DPS numbers high might not be the most impactful Bladestorm for winning the fight and killing the boss, if that makes sense, right? If a bunch of very high caliber and scary ads spawn and killing those ads a couple of seconds faster because I use Bladestorm on them, even if it is at the sacrifice of using Bladestorm in order to maximize my DPS cooldown, right? Then I am doing unequivocally the right thing by saving Bladestorm in order to kill the ads, even though I am lower dps if that makes sense do you see what i'm saying sure uh, absolutely but how do you fix that problem right like how, how like how do you design it such that people don't feel obligated to chase chase the the kind of uh dragon of of high dps numbers do you think there's a way to i do honestly that? don't have a good i think maybe if i was blizzard i would have some real serious talks about stopping the ability of parsers to parse damage um in the game and like maybe maybe you say you know what this is our goal and the only way we can get there is we disable any ability for you know for people to pull log data or for people to use recount or for any of that kind of stuff because we don't want people focusing on the numbers I think there's a lot of downsides to that. That would be a really tough sell to anybody, I think. Um, I would honestly think it would be fucking insane. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, the, I, there are so many things I can imagine Ian Hosokosa saying in the next Q&A that would be so much less crazy. You know, Jaina actually was a dreadlord this whole time. <laughs> would be less crazy than him saying we are banning all logging tools. Um but to a certain extent, I think that might be, like, the only way that Blizzard could, themselves could do it. I think the onus is on the players, if I'm being completely honest with you. I think the onus is on the players to change their mindset and think a little bit more complexly about how they work through, um, about how they work through WoW as a kind of, as a kind of system. Um, we hear a lot about people chasing numbers and how that's detrimental, people not doing mechanics in order to keep their rotation high and everything like that. And I think that these are all kind of, like, low-level things that we excuse as a community who build our raid teams and stuff like that. Maybe in a way that we shouldn't, you know, maybe as a raid leader, I should say absolutely no one is allowed to have a recount. Absolutely no one is allowed to post logs. The only person that is going to be looking at logs and looking at recount is me. The rest of you, you know, I can't have you be sitting there, you know, trying to glass cannon, right? Um, because you're going, because I would, you know, use, I need you to use Bladestorm on the ads. I don't need you to use Bladestorm to keep your DPS high by, by way of metaphor. Right. Um, yeah. Um, I, I see that. I think that, I don't know. I, I think there's, there's a, like a, a bunch of kind of sub issues there. Right. Like I think it's perfectly legitimate for you to enjoy your game by, um, by wanting to get the biggest numbers. Sure. You can make the case that like you shouldn't be, um, you, you shouldn't be, uh, what's it called, uh, 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 you, you shouldn't be, you know, sacrificing the team at the expense of your own numbers. That's, but that's, I think, a separate issue. I think kind of like... So, expect okay, yeah. So I would definitely agree that I think it is a valid approach to the game um, to say, I want, you know, like, I want to get the best numbers and that's how I have fun. But I think that that approach is 
fundamentally and diametrically opposed to any approach that says I have choice in how my player in how my character is built. I think at that point you are saying effectively I don't want to make choices about my, you know, like about my spec or my abilities or my any of these kinds of things. All of that informa- all of that is getting farmed out to other websites, to Icy Veins or to Wowhead okay. or whatever. And I am happy with that, right? And so in a certain sense, it is the cognitive dissonance of those two things. You cannot both increase your ability to choose and play however you want and you know, the, like like play to the parser, if that makes sense. Those two things are mutually exclusive. I think uh, so. Kind I, of I don't. I don't think they have to. I, I think. I think maybe that's kind of like the 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 holy grail. Maybe we we're ever in search of it. But a game where yeah. you have enough kind of like a build diversity, you can choose what you want, um, mm-hmm. and like you allows you to formulate kind of your own strategy for for uh, getting there. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I will say that there have been times when this kind of balance has existed on small scales. Um, I actually think that the modern talent system is a pretty good example of that. There are a lot of talents that are pretty wishy-washy, and you're like, yeah, you know, you could go this way or that way. Even, like, Icy Veins or Wowhead, who are the people who are dedicated to giving you, the, like, the highest optimal output on stuff, will typically kind of say, like, yeah, you know, like... These things perform pretty similarly. You could kind of take either one. It's not a big deal. Um, And so there are a couple of micro issues where the balance is real and true and kind of pure and equitable. Um, But, like, I I feel like the only way to get that across the entire game would be some very advanced AI or something like that that was, like, constantly parsing and had the ability to change. You know what I mean? Like, it had the ability to make its own hotfixes and change the game based on the data that it is that it is like pulling in just because i i you know like i don't know i don't i just don't feel like people can and even then i feel like that god that's so yeah it's so impossible right because so much of balance i think is perception based uh, like we've talked about in the podcast before the the example in league of legends where vladimir got nerfed in uh in the patch notes but the 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 patch build was wrong and so he his numbers were the exact same but he still took a big win rate dip yeah because people you know like people felt like he was nerfed even though he wasn't at all um and they and you know like they played around it differently right like those things affect people and i don't know how even an algorithmic ai could kind of like manage that stuff right like for instance you know if on Warcraft logs, uh, a lot of the time what gets used to kind of talk about class parity is um, the top 75% percentile, the top 25% of players essentially who are rating heroic level raid content, right? You, you take all of those parses, you average them out, and you kind of get this breakdown graph to see what, how each of the specs are doing. People react to that. They look at their spec and they say, oh, wow, I didn't know that ARMS DPS was worse than Fury now. I'm going to switch to be a Fury DPS warrior, right? And that might not be true. It might be undersampling. You know, like, it might be any number of things, right? Survival for all of last expansion had pitifully few parses in order to like understand how much damage people were doing right like the sample size compared to something like marksman hunter which was huge you just like the the numbers were bad at a certain point um and so i don't even know how how does an algorithm deal with those kinds of things that are player-based problems 
um, in dealing with in dealing with patches and balancing. Yeah, no, I I, I think I think I agree with you. I think I think this is actually an interesting topic to explore because um, one game that I have heard um, does kind of like you can choose your own build very well is Path of Exile. Um, I haven't played a ton of it, but that game is absurdly complicated. But I think part of the strength there is one there's less competition among like play like there's there's less like kind of like competition on the ladder as it were and two characters are less permanent right like in a lot of these arpgs right like rolling up another character isn't a big deal right i think players investment in their characters makes it so that like like you can have like superior builds in a system where people don't get mad that they're maybe playing a subpar character and then you've got yeah. investment in your character to the extent that you do in world of warcraft you kind of have to guarantee that everybody's on a on a pretty even playing field um, yeah I, yeah i definitely i definitely feel that um i also think to a certain extent it, a lot of it is the the competition that comes with rating and stuff like that i feel like balance you know like we've talked about how balance doesn't matter as much in single player games um for obviously for obvious reasons but like on a spectrum i think balance matters a lot in a game like world of warcraft when it comes to rating because like yeah being able to point to your parses and say i did this last expansion right i was linking people my parses and saying listen i'm the best arms warrior on my server uh, these are the parses. I have legendary parses on some of these uh, on some of these fights. I'm clearly really good at this, and that got me into like real heroic guilds and stuff like that. Um, yeah, and, 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 and like the the other kind of side of that is you don't want anybody in, in a social game. You don't want anybody to be like, I like playing warlock. Well, warlock shit this expansion, so we're not going to let you play now. Um, yeah, no, I mean, and that has happened, right? Like that has happened with shamans, and to a certain extent. I mean, shamans aren't even all that bad, to be honest. Like, they've, they've hotfixed and, like, they patched around it. One of the top DPS in our raid is a shaman, is a DPS elemental shaman, right? But there is this kind of, like, stigma in the community that, oh, shamans are bad. Anytime you see a shaman, mm, you might as well just, like, wait and get, like, a balanced druid instead, right? Like, those are things that, you know, I don't know, like, there will always be a worst class, and to a certain extent... Uh, that is really like unfair, but I don't really know how much that is on Blizzard. I feel like it is more on the player base in the community. Uh, so, mm-hmm. I I have trouble saying that. Like, I, I have trouble accepting the idea that you know this is the fault of the like the problems in the game are the fault of the players. Like I, that, like you know, in kind of the same way, you know, like water finds a crack, a player will optimize the fun out of the game if you give them the opportunity to, I think is, like, a known thing that you kind of have to design to as a game designer. I don't think there's any way around that. Um, And, uh, you know, maybe you're right. Maybe the answer to that is you don't let people look at numbers. Um, But I mean, I, I almost wonder if, like, WoW would be better if, like... Like, maybe I can see the numbers flash up on screen, but, like, you kill the combat log. And you also get rid of any kind of numbers in, like, a tooltip, right? And you just kind of say, here's the rotation, right? Here's a couple of different abilities that affect the rotation. You get to choose between them or whatever. You can see big numbers if you want. Um, big, seeing big numbers feels, feels, like, satisfying, right? But, like, at the end of the day, you know, maybe if you just remove people's ability to, to you know, you don't publish patch notes anymore, 
and you just say the damage of Mortal Strike has been increased by how much? Who knows? You know, it's been increased a little bit. You just kind of have to trust us a little bit. Um, I think like people. Maybe I think that w- people would riot though. Like I th- no. I mean, listen, I completely agree with you. People would fucking riot, but like at a certain point, right? Like if if you say that the problem is on, like if you say that Blizzard can solve this problem, like. I, they don't have good options to do it. This is why I think, like, at the end of the day, it is the player's problem. I think Blizzard is doing the right thing um, by being kind of open and transparent with their platform and everything. But, like, it, I guess, I you know, I don't know. I think Maybe, I, I maybe think this is general, why the MMO genre is dead. <laughs> like, Yeah, I, you know, maybe, right? Um, maybe this, this problem can't be solved, at least, at least in a way that's satisfactory. And uh, forevermore, no one's going to, you know, like... You, you, you don't yeah. do this because uh, the other because the other thing is like if you want to if you want to switch gears like that right and if Ian is like you know what we're getting rid of all numbers in the game um, you'll see numbers pop up on screen so you'll see big crits you know you'll see whatever but you can't parse that data at all and no, you can't find any of it in tooltips we're getting rid of any of any and all ability to parse the math of the of the um, uh, of the way abilities work and all that other kind of stuff um, so. Just under, you know, like, so just kind of, like, take us at our word when you when you look at some of this stuff, right? You, the Blizzard hasn't, has, that would be such a role reversal that even if you were going to catch a few fish with that approach, right? And you were going to get people who are like, oh, wow, that's actually, like, a really neat change. And I've always hated using recount or whatever. Those people have actually probably left the game by now. Do you know what I mean? Because, like, the game has been servicing the recount crowd for so long that at, at a certain point they have kind of cultivated their own player base um, in the opposite direction. So, so, so I, yeah. I, I think part of the answer might be action combat um, in just the sense that, like, when you're not guaranteed to hit, like, when you've got, like, some sort of, like, skill associated with that, like, like the, the differences in parses are maybe not going to come down, come down to, like, optimize it. Like, if, like, you know, hitting buttons in order is, like, a relatively smaller skill gap than um, kind of, like, doing, like, like aiming moves and, and doing action combat type stuff, right? Like this, this is yeah, like like making sure your your character is, you know, in range so that when you swing your axe, the hitbox of the axe hits the hitbox of the monster. Right, right. Like this, this is like this is why like thing. you know mobas are popular. This is why like FPSs are popular as as like esports, right? Like mm-hmm. adding maybe that kind of stuff into it, like you know. That's a thing you can't like patch into WoW, right? Like that's like a thing for yeah. for WoW two, um, if if such a thing ever exists. Um, but I think maybe that's the the solution to this problem is, is is a fundamentally different combat system that kind of like where the parse is going to be subordinate to like player skill to an extent, right? Like, um, so you know maybe we'll see that one of these new MMOs that's coming out. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll get it in WoW two. I, w- I wonder if WoW two is in development, um, or if I don't. Th- yeah, I, don't, I mean, maybe I don't think so though. I, I have a feeling that they're going to be riding out this WoW train for quite a while. I mean, maybe, maybe like if Battle for Azeroth. I see. I feel like they just all, they always rebound. Yeah. You know, after every Warlords, there's a Legion. It feels like you know, after every Cataclysm, there's a Mists of Pandaria. But but that's, um, so here's the real like. WoW 2 is... Pr- I wonder if WoW 2 is a 
thing that is going to be an eventuality, right? Like, maybe it's not in development, but, like... Right, yeah, yeah. Like, ten years from now, five years from now, or, 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 will we see a WoW 2 yeah. announcement? Is is WoW 2, like, is... like my, I guess my fundamental question is, is, is Blizzard's plan to eventually have a WoW 2, or is it, well, we've had a good run with WoW, now we're going to go make more overwatch loot boxes or something i don't know yeah i mean the thing that i've always wanted to see is a warcraft 4 wow 2 kind of break right Warcraft. you you in my head this is essentially you pull the starcraft 2 team and say okay you guys are now developing warcraft 4 the rts um and then oh there is a wow 2 team and then warcraft 4 comes out and then wow 2 comes out after the events of like warcraft 4 or, like, maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe there's, like, expansion packs and shit like that or something kind of along those lines. Because I almost feel like you're talking about Blizzard as a bigger company, right? Like, what what role does StarCraft II play? I have no idea. Yeah. Nobody talks about it anymore. I feel like RTSs um, are kind of a dead genre at this point. I think RTSs have been completely killed by Paradox and uh, those kinds of strategy games. Um, because people have a lot more fun doing, I, I guess I would call them grand strategy games. People have a lot more fun doing big grand strategy games, I think, than these kind of like micro RTS matches. Um, and you know, I love Starcraft. I think Star, I mean, Starcraft two has been one of my favorite games. Uh, you know, it was my game of the year in whatever, 2013, 2014, whenever Legacy of the Void came out, right? Like I loved that stuff. So, um, yeah, but you, you are, you are like the one person who likes are like StarCraft as a story game, right? Like the StarCraft's enduring popularity is because of its multiplayer aspect. Um, I dispute that. Um, but you know, sure. I, you know, I don't think, which is to say, I don't think I'm the only person in the world who, who likes the single player in those games. Um, no, I, you but, know, I'm, I'm not saying the single player is, is bad or anything. I just think that the reason why StarCraft became a phenomenon, right? Like above and beyond say like, command and conquer is the enduring aspect of of its of its uh, multiplayer oh man i really disagree with that actually i think the starcraft story is good and elevates it i i mean i have this i think we in games tend to undershoot um how important good storytelling has been to video games um like halo was a, like a revolution for its multiplayer right but the single player was a big draw for people and i no. think that that has been true for a lot of different games um and, and, over time and i absolutely think that that's true of starcraft i mean and, and i would agree that like s- s- single player modes and story can be important but i don't th- i don't think you get like the, the story mode in, in, in command and conquer i think was also well liked everybody loves like love those games but they don't have the staying power that StarCraft does, um, and like, I, 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 like I, I'm not trying to discount the importance of story. I just think the thing that makes StarCraft a worldwide phenomenon is, is kind of like that the PC bombs in Korea. To be frank about it, I mean, oh, you know, okay, you, so, so I definitely agree that that's important. I just don't think. I think at, at a certain point we want to we want to identify this one thing. We want to say like, oh, StarCraft was like the best multiplayer game sure, sure. ever. So, you know, that's the reason it's successful. It's like, well, no, StarCraft also had a really deep and compelling story that pulled in a lot of people, right? And those people are just as valid a group in the equation um, than, you know, than the people about, you know, multiplayer, right? Like, this, you know, the, the people like me who played Call of Duty 4 because we read reviews that, wow, actually this has a really good story, right? I think count towards 
like the massive genre bending success of that game, right? Um, it's not just the people who played like the multiplayer end over end over end. Those people also count and they probably count more proportionally by a couple fold, right? You know, maybe four or five times more, right? But I think that, you know, the things that turn these games from, I don't know, I don't want to say blips on the radar, but just kind of like, like, uh, in the vein of ex- expectation, right? The things that the things that pull these games out of just kind of oh, it's another blank, and into this is really transformative. I think a lot of times those things are paired with single player story content that gets undervalued when we talk about it. I don't know, maybe. <laughs> I know. Like, I know well, you want to fight this point. No, I, so like I, I get your point, but I also think that like. There's a thing, like, the thing to be said that, like, a lot of the biggest games are not any of that. Fortnite, League of Legends, uh, fucking Rocket League. Um, so, interestingly, I might actually kind of agree um, that over time, I feel like we have fallen away from this model a little bit. Um, now there is a lot more kind of discussion about, like... I don't know. I mean, part of it, we had a whole single player episode. I don't want to like retread that ground, but I feel like part of it is just kind of the, as time has gone on, we have invested more in games as sport as like the, the sort of like default methodology when we have story based games that come out like, you know, Mass Effect Andromeda, they are maybe the object of more ridicule than they used to be back then. So, so um, I, I, I think the actual difference is, because I don't think single-player single player games haven't died by a long shot. I think what it is is we've seen the more severe divorce of multiplayer from single-player. Like, you don't get a lot yeah. of mixed games anymore. I think that's maybe more contributory to this in, in, in the... Um, yeah, which I, I mean, to be honest, I think is a very good thing. You know, like I think it's good that you know God of War doesn't have a does God of War have a multiplayer no. mode. Okay, yeah, I think it's good that God of War doesn't have a multiplayer mode, and you can focus. You know, you can focus in on the storytelling and the single yeah. player experience of that game. Yeah, um, no, I, I, I agree. I, I think I think I think that though, what that what that does is because multiplayer games are kind of like live and die by their community. It creates like these kind of big massive game like in a system where like you are buying your multiplayer and single player games separately a game like Fortnite is bound to happen because you want to play the game that everybody is playing and so you play the yeah. you know it's like a you know it's self-driving engine um mm-hmm. and like no one goes and plays i don't know like uh angels fall first um yeah 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 um but, but yeah. I do think that there is, you know, like, I do think that there is kind of, like, I almost sort of think that if I were making StarCraft three, I might make it more akin to a paradox or a civilization um, than I would make it akin to, like, StarCraft. Maybe even, like, a Total War, where you have a grand campaign. I mean, I guess I would say that uh, a lot of the StarCraft story did have, like, that feel to it. And maybe that's why I like it so much, because, like, you know you have this big spaceship and you're upgrading it and you're changing it around and stuff like that. But like, yeah, like maybe a version of Starcraft that is more along the lines of total war Warhammer than it is along the lines of command and conquer is kind of like the future of, you know, a Starcraft or even like a Warcraft four. Right. Mm. Um, yep. Yeah. I don't know. Who knows? All right. Well, we, we've, we've obviously gone way over in time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so 
Uh, Tell me about your life. I, I got I got a bunch of stuff. Doing? So uh, we're gonna. I'm gonna go through it chronologically. First things first is um, over the new year, I ran. Well, yeah, the first thing we did was I ran a game of Pathfinder Two for friends of the show X and Monic. Uh, which, Very cool. Which was just the two of them. Uh, yes, um, we, it was okay. the three of us hung out uh, on New Year's Eve, um, and uh, and the days before we we, we went and we went and uh, stayed in a, a lake house and relaxed. It was nice. Um, uh, but what about it? It was a interesting experience. I like the three actions. Um, I thought it was relatively easy to teach those guys how things worked. Although I'm not convinced they totally grabbed onto it. They both played spellcasters. Um, I actually wanted to play a minion master, so I built up a character that could do that. Um, it still has kind of like that player dominates the turns type of problem. Because um, he was a druid that summoned an animal and had a companion. And the way that they limit this, theoretically, is you have to spend an action to give your companions two actions. Um, so he would often, like, on the first round of combat, spend his three actions and summon a companion, then or summon a animal, and then, then every subsequent turn was like, spend an action to move the, the, the companion, spend an action to move the summoned animal, and then, like, maybe if he's next to somebody, cast a spell, or if he's, um, or move or, or something like that. And that just ended up taking a little bit longer, especially since he was newer to the game. Um, Monik played a sorcerer, um, and he just basically pl- threw damage spells, which was fine. Um uh, I think that's just kind of a, a function of, of the way the, the particular one shot went off. Um, uh, but the uh, I thought the enemy design was fun. I used kobold, lizardmen, and a crocodile. Um, and so like that all seemed to work out relatively well. Numbers seemed to be in the right place. I ran it at level 3. Um, I can't really give a lot of deep feedback, but it was a lot of fun, and they enjoyed it. So um, I'm going to count it at least as like, a success... Like, whether or not it successfully solves the problems of Pathfinder 1, I still think it's a good game, and hopefully it'll be even more polished for the final product in uh, in June. Um, after that, we watched we watched uh, freaking Speed Racer, the Wachowski... Oh, the Wachowskis movie. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever seen that movie? Uh, yeah. I actually... I, I like that movie. Yeah. Uh, I like the Wachowskis a lot. Yeah, uh, yeah it was... Um, follow up to that, I watched uh, last night. I actually watched the entire Matrix trilogy again, um, and I don't. Do you do you like the Matrix sequels? Can we do an episode about how much I like? No, the no. I, I think sequels. I think we can. I don't know why people just like. I don't think three was as good as two. I think two is like probably the best of the three of them. It's very cerebral. Yeah. Um, and I think I think that no, I love I love uh, I love the second. I think part of it is. Um, uh, I think part of it is is uh, is like a phenomenon I've described before, which is kind of like the follow up effect. You know, like the Matrix one was like wow, so mind bendingly yeah. awesome that you know two and three being okay in comparison and having a few more problems and a little bit more like fat on the bones. Um, yeah. You know, that it's like that's like a tough thing. I actually, this is my most controversial opinion. I love. The moment when Neo talks to the architect in the end of in the end of Matrix Reloaded, I think that conversation is great and cool and interesting. I hated it as a kid, but I've when I revisited it, kind of like in college and like later, I was like, wow, this is actually like really deep and interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think I think I, I actually agree with you a lot. I just think the biggest problem with it is that it's 
vaguely confusing what's actually happening. Like, mm-hmm. um, like it, like the language of the scene. Like, what's happening is Neo is making the wrong decision, right? Like, and in in kind of in movie parlance, right? Like, you have like, no, you need to fulfill like the the plan that we've set out for you, and you'd normally expect the villain to be like angry that he's not doing the thing that he's supposed to do. Um, yeah, and the architect isn't. He's just kind of smug. Um, and that fits the character, just, like, kind of makes the scene harder to read. Yeah. Um, I also just think, to be honest with you, the mo- like, even though I love it in a, in a top-down conceptual sense, it is tough to kind of understand what he's getting at. Yeah. Um, when it comes to, like, the source and, you know, and, you know, like, all of this other sort of, like, oh, people would accept the 1% of choice that we give them, even at a subconscious level. Like, I had no ability to parse that when I was yeah. 16 or 13 or however old I was whenever that movie came out. Um, and I, you know, I had to, like, I had to take, like, three philosophy classes in college and then watch it again and be like, oh, I get it now. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 I definitely get what you mean. Um, especially, like, the first movie is like, well, do, like, tech wizard stuff. The second movie is like, your life is not your own, but maybe it is. <laughs> I, yeah, I actually, I actually find the first movie a little bit trite in a way, just yeah. because like it's so. And I, this is insanely unfair, but it's so baked into the popular consciousness yeah, yeah, yeah. that I, I can't help but be a little bit like, man, I have seen this, you know, and not like. I mean, I watched The Matrix a bunch of times. I used to really love The Matrix, actually. Like, it was, like, one of my... Like, when I was 12, right? Like, I watched The Matrix, like, 40 times from, like, Blockbuster or whatever. Um, but it's just kind of, like, so baked into, like, our culture that it's a little bit, like, rote at a certain point. Yeah. Um, when at the time, it was groundbreaking as a 12-year-old to hear, like, oh, the the world is actually a big computer program. Oh, my God! Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, and, and, and I think that if we do do an episode on it we could do like a a whole th- like i do think that like if you think about it too hard a lot of kind of like the end plot like agent like agent smith doesn't make a ton of sense right like if neo had entered the source but that have somehow stopped smith like smith must have been a thing that never emerged before like like it's it's it 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 kind of like has cracks the seams if you if you poke at it a little bit Definitely. too hard. I I think that's what the biggest. Uh, it has a lot of it's a lot like BBS in a way. It has it has a lot of flaws, um, but it's like ambitious and it's like really kind of like reaching for the stars. And I think in general, I am much more willing to give a movie like that credit. I'm willing to say, man, you know, listen, some of these fight scenes are kind of pointless and rote, and who cares? Uh, but like. Boy, am I here for a conversation between Neo and Smith about the deterministic nature of the Matrix, right? Like, that stuff, it will keep me on board when I feel like a lot of people will be like, God, why the fuck are they just like, did he really just like fight that guy for no reason in this like Japanese tea house? Is that okay? Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I think that there's a lot of that in in the second Matrix and there's a lot more problems compared to the first Matrix, which is both interesting philosophically and, you know, kind of a whole complete flawless experience in and of itself. Yeah, I, I think that the... I think it's like the final speech of the movie, which is the Mr. Anderson, why do you persist scene. It's one of the, the, the greats. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, I love that, like, Superman, you know, superhero fight that they have at the mm, end of that. Um, but, you know, kind of unwrapping, uh, watched Speed Racer, um, which <laughs> which was... It's, it's an insane movie. Like, 
I like it a lot, but like, why did the what like why does the Racer X like the double clutch happen? You you remember this, right? Like, fucking Speed Racer in a like when he's young, Speed Racer's older brother Rex apparently dies. Yeah, and then there's right, Racer yeah. X, and Racer X is looks like he's going he's going to be like Rex, but like yeah, but then and like Speed starts to think maybe it is, and then like. Most of the way through the movie, they have a conversation where, where he straight up asks him, are you Rex? And he takes off his mask and he's not. And he's like, I'm not your brother. I'm sorry. Um, and then at the end of the movie, you find out that, in fact, he is Rex. He has, like, he went through plastic surgery. Like, what? What? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, I honestly, I now that you've said that, I remember that. I remember immediately, like, when I, when I originally watched the movie, because we all know. I mean, I don't know if we all know. I watched Speed Racer as a kid on, like, Cartoon Network or whatever, so I knew that Racer X was Speed Racer's brother. That was, like, the big twist, um, you know, in this, like, shitty anime. Um, But I just remember in the movie that that was true. I actually – I remember now that you've you've reminded me that he goes through this, like, plastic – yeah, I hate fake-outs like that. That's always so dumb. It's like a – It's like, you know, ah, man, that's always – it's it's, always so dumb. It's a weird double – like, because you could have just had, like – you could have just not done the double fake-out, right? Like, you could have just said, like, you know, just have Speed be, like, oh, I guess, like, not think that he's his brother. Or, like – I mean, I think there – it's this weird thing because I don't think there's a good way out of it because, like, it – him not being his brother gets used very effectively as a way for Speed to resolve his feelings about his brother. Um, but then you just, like, have that be a change of the adaptation that Race Rex isn't his brother. You don't, like, double-clutch it and turn it around. Like, that's... Uh. Also, that movie is just kind of, like, you know, like... What's, what's the line? It's, like, I don't know... Like, I don't know how to do much, but I know how to... It's, it's something along the lines of, like, you know, finding your purpose in, like, you know... In the world, I, I thought it was I thought it was great. Um, uh, definitely need to watch that again at some point, so I can like pick up on all the stuff. That fucking kid, Spritel, like f- such like those those scenes were so goofy and just like so like out of place. But I, I'm laughing my ass off. Um, uh, moving forward through the week, um, the other two big things I wanted to hit on um, were, or maybe there's a couple more than two. But I played, I, I bought a couple of games on the Steam sale. I bought. Um, uh, Far Alone Sales and Time Spinner. Time Spinner is very good. It's a Metroidvania. Um, it is relatively short. I beat it in seven hours, but it is still a great game. It is um very very Castlevania-ish. You get a bunch of different weapons. You can there's like a bunch of different systems at play. Um, game's just not as I would have liked the game to have been bigger. Um, I don't think it's perfect. I think that like some of the side quests are um are kind of just like bad. They're like they're like weirdly like MMO-ish type quests, like kill X number of enemies or of this type of enemy, or like kill them until they drop an item, which doesn't work nearly as well in a side-scrolling Metroidvania. Um, and there are some narrative things that are a little bit not so satisfying, but I think it's overall a good game. I think it's worth your time. Far Lone Sales. <sighs> so I, I hate to do this because I don't think. It's a terrible game, but I think it should have been a flash game, not a, you know, a $10 game on sale. 
on Steam. It's like less than two hours. It's just kind of like, like it's very pretty, but you're like driving like this weird land vehicle, like you're sailing this land vehicle across uh, like a salt plain in a post-apocalyptic world. And it just kind of goes and the puzzles aren't particularly like challenging. They're, they're barely even puzzles. Um, like it's, it's just, and the story isn't super engaging, right? Like, you know, like Dear Esther, not Dear Esther, uh, What Remains of Edith Finch is a short game and a short experience. But I thought that was wonderful. I thought it was deep enough and rich enough to be worth the time invested. I can't say the same thing um, for Far Lone Sail. Maybe it would be worth the time invested if it wasn't like, I, I just can't recommend it at $10. I could recommend it at like a dollar. I could recommend it as like a flash game that you should maybe go check out because it's really pretty, but I can't recommend it as uh, as a $10 game. And it really sucks because like these people, obviously the people who made it obviously cared about it a lot, but, um, and like, it's, 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 like I said, it's very pretty and, and it's, it's competent. It's not like it's, there's anything technically wrong with it, but it's just, it's just basically nothing. Um, it's 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 a curiosity, um, uh, and that makes uh, th- those are, those are the worst kinds of types of games to me because I can't laugh at it for being like terrible, and I can't like rejoice in it for being great. Um, and the last thing to talk about is I got an Oculus and I've been playing Beat Saber, and that is fantastic. I feel like a freaking wizard. Um, yeah, I hear that Beat Saber is actually super fucking awesome. Yeah. Um, so one of the, one of the big things is you can download mods for it. I downloaded like a custom like yeah, the, the first thing that everybody downloads is the ability to import custom songs and the amount of creativity you see in some of these songs like um uh, i was looking through the top ones i downloaded uh, uptown funk um and like if you've seen the video uh, uh fucking uh what, what's his name um whoever the artist is uh, uh bruno mars um in the video he does a lot of this kind of like like heavy lean back while like uh, like snapping his fingers or whatever and they capture that really well in the song. Like, there's one of the things you have to do, you can do is duck. And so, like, during that segment, you just, you have to, like, duck and, like, move your arms in vaguely that pattern to, like, slice up the, the, the blocks. It's, like, it's super great. Um, I have been having so much fun with it. Um, I have played no other game besides, uh, uh, besides, uh, besides Beat Saber. Um, but, you know, uh, that's, uh, that's all I think I can really. Uh, that's like been my week so far. What about you, buddy? Uh, well, you know, funnily enough, I've actually, I haven't been playing a lot of WoW. Um, I've been mostly playing Dragon Age Inquisition because the announcement at the Game Awards that Dragon Age 4 was coming out had me be like, oh yeah, like I actually never beat Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, and I didn't play any of its DLC or anything like that. So I am back in Dragon Age Inquisition. I love this game, dude. This game is great. I actually think that this game has one of the more complex um, and kind of, like, nuanced stories and themes, specifically, that I've seen in, like, a AAA release in a long time. Like, it reminds me a lot of, like, Spec Ops, but, like, not quite Spec Ops, um, because in, in terms of just, like, being, like, really about something. Because, okay, so Dragon Age Inquisition is all about, like, faith and, like, religion and, like, belief and all of that kind of stuff, um, which I find 
just immensely crazy and weird. There's all of these questions from all of these different characters um, and a lot of different angles uh, about like, well, are you the Herald of Andrasse? Are you chosen? Are you not chosen? Did you see Andrasse herself? You eventually go back and realize, oh, no, the thing that happened to you was perfectly mundane and not magic at all. Who is Corypheus? Is Corypheus just a guy who has a thing? Or is he some kind of specter that's like part of like the book? And is there a maker? Is there a golden city? He says the black throne is empty or whatever. Or he says the golden throne is empty. And so just like, there's like a lot of like, you know, doubt and question and agnosticism um, and atheism going throughout the whole thing. And you kind of have to like, you know, you you kind of have to, like, see the same problem through a ton of different angles in a way. Because, like, somebody like Cassandra, right, who is an agent of the Chantry and who is a devout, uh, I guess, Andrastian, um, you know, she is going to tell, you know, like, your conversation with her, she is going to be like, yeah, no, there is absolutely a maker in Andraste and you've been chosen and all this other blah, blah, blah. And then you can have a conversation with, like, Iron Bull or whatever, and he's like, Andraste, it's not real. Only the Kuhn is real or whatever, you know, or, or just even, like, Sarah, who is, like, who cares about the fucking Chantry and Andrasse or whatever, right? Like, these are real people who are being really stepped on by, like, the feudal nature of our, you know, of our politics. <laughs> um, and, uh, God, I just really forgot how good this game was. Um, so, that's what I've been playing. Um, yeah. I don't have I don't have any more complicated thoughts than that. I am in a problem where I have like over this happens to me fairly frequently in single player games like this where I have like min maxed myself to a certain extent that I'm just like insanely powerful. Um, even though I'm playing on hard, which I didn't play on originally, where I was like really tearing through things. Even on hard, um, I had the, there's something about like the way enemies spawn. I'm fighting a lot of enemies that are like six or seven levels below me, which seems just like weird. Yeah, no, I, I I get that. You know, you, you play the best you can, and if you do a lot of side content, like I feel like games are designed so that you don't have to do all the side content. But then, like, if you're the type of player who who plays like the full game, then you end up just like outscaling the content at like you know a huge level. It's it's, it's a weird problem. I don't know. I don't know quite how you fix that. Um, yeah, I don't know. Um, but uh. Uh, oh, I saw at one point you did watch some minefields kind of following up on our derpies. Uh, did, did you enjoy it? I, uh, the first season of minefields, I don't know, I, you know, there's some stinkers in there. The first episode I was really good and I feel a little bit duped, if I'm being honest with you, because some of the other episodes I was just like, oh, well, this is kind of, uh, maybe it's just like the structure of the show. There isn't a lot of, and, and I'm like, which is going to sound pretentious, I'm a little, like, too smart for it. Because I've seen some of these things before, like the false choice thing, right? That you will defend a choice even if you didn't actually make it. And so, like, he goes through a whole thing where a magician um, is using sleight of hand to change people's choices out from under them. And and then he shows them the choice that they rejected. And he's like, why did you pick this one? And they're like, oh, I thought she had a great-looking face or whatever. Um, so, like, I, I know about some of these principles, like, offhand. So watching them be proved is not insanely compelling. But I don't know. that Like, that first episode on Isolation was great. I have just started getting into season two. Um uh, I'm very excited because I can tell that this thing is about the trolley problem, which is one of my favorite, like, philosophical, uh, 
kind of conundrums, uh, thought experiments. Um, oh, yeah, I forgot that he makes people actually, like, do the trolley problem. Um, yeah, I haven't actually watched the episode yet. Uh, I just, like, see it's called The Greater Good, and there's a trolley in the thing, and I'm like, well, I wonder what this is about. Yeah, he, um, he, <laughs> he actually, like, puts people in a switching station with a trolley. And, like, you know, oh, the people God. aren't in danger, but, like, you know, they are, like, empowered to actually stop the trolley. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, but, like, I... You know what's actually really funny, by the way? Um, I watched an ep- So, I... Okay. Can I just relate to you how insane I am about these things sometimes? A YouTuber I like named Sarah Z uh, came out with a video called What's Wrong With Orange is the New Black, right? Season six. Um... And I've watched Orange is the New Black before. You know, like I watched it when it came out. I watched the first four seasons, I think. Um, but I kind of fell off of it. It's like, it's a show that I am kind of more academically interested in than personally invested in, which is, you know, like, which is fine. Um, and uh, and so I was like, well, I want to watch this 20-minute YouTube video. So clearly I need to watch 72 hours of television in order to fully understand the context. And so I've been watching, and so I watched the entirety of Orange is the New Black, and they have an episode about the trolley problem. Uh, but they they tackle it from the more, um, like, the more principled angle. Um, you know, uh, a lot of the time you see the pro- trolley problem kind of, like, as a, as, like, a, like, oh, well, what kind of ethics do you subscribe to or whatever? But they were just kind of, but they were discussing it in this matter of, like, what is it that you value, Right. Do do are you a consequentialist? Do you value the consequences of of actions, right? Or you do you value the principle of the actions themselves? Um, well, and usually the trolley problem is like a trap, right? Like you show that like most people are willing to be consequentialist when they're like somewhat divorced from the action, but like if you actually have to push a fat man off the the bridge, you're less willing to do it. Um, is you know is a trap to expose the fact that most people aren't aren't consistent in their principles. Um. At least as, 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 as it's usually presented. Yeah, but I think that's because it's, you and I are on the opposite ends of the trial. Sure, problem, sure. But, but like, we, know, we, we've also, we've, we have also considered, like, the full ramifications of it, right? Like, when you pose it to a random person, it is to show to them that, like, most people will pull the switch, but they won't push the fat man, right? Like, that's, like, the, 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 the general idea behind it. And that's because, like, there's something fundamentally different about, like, a, a, a distant action and, like, the... the um, uh, and, and like the act of like actually having to shove someone off a bridge. Oh, okay. So I guess the pushing the fat man, I feel like is like an add on in a way. Like mo- most of the time you see the trolley problem talked about like that follow up, which I do, by the way, think is very interesting. Um, that follow up is not included. Really? I'm, uh, I, I, it is- whatever. Any, anyway, uh, c- continue your point. I didn't mean to derail you. Yeah. Cause you know, you know, um, I don't know, because, like, there is a real... See, the, the thing that's really interesting is that it is impossible to, like, draw hard and fast lines because everybody is willing to sacrifice things um, in order to get things done. And so there being no line is what makes, like, ethics interesting. Um, anyway, I didn't really... What what was I... What were we even talking about? Whatever. Man, we're really over time. <laughs> we should probably... Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's been my life. Dragon Age Inquisition. And Orange is the New Black. Excellent. And Orange is the New Black, yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Well, if you'd like to email us what you think about uh, Battle for Azeroth or Orange is the New Black or Dragon Age Inquisition um, or, I guess, Speed Racer or any of the other things we talked about on the show, you can email us at subdurvesplaygames at gmail.com or podcast at subdurvesplaygames.com. 
Um, you can follow us on Twitch.tv slash some derps play games. Um, I'm still an episode behind on the uh, YouTube video, so I apologize for that. But these will go up on as YouTube videos um, eventually. I think that's everything I had. Oh, uh, leave give us a five star review on iTunes or something. That's that's how you you get traction in the podcast industry. Um, it's, it's good that we're focusing on this three years in. So uh, uh, that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.